Hello and welcome to the very first episode of the Between the Post podcast. My name is Erik Elias and with me is our writer, Jose Perez. Hello, Jose. Hello, Eric, and I'm very glad to be here. So if you, I, I presume readers here have already seen my articles. Now we're trying to move into podcasts. So now you're going to listen to us. Yes, for those of you that don't know, Between the Post is a football tactics website. We make tactical match reports. And as Jose said, we're going into podcasting now. Uh, what you can expect from us from now are quick post-match analysis podcast. And as a first choice, we have lined up for you Arsenal-Chelsea, a game from the Premier League. And Jose, I think we made a good choice here. I definitely agree. This was quite the fun tactical battle. We had a lot, especially during the first half, we had a lot of changes happening very quickly. So it was quite entertaining to watch. Yeah, it's not every time that you analyze a game, whether it be for an article or a podcast. and the manager makes a tactical switch like we saw here. So that's interesting. Um, also, the second game of Arteta in charge of Arsenal. Did you follow Arsenal a bit the last uh, few weeks? Uh, the only game we needed to watch was the previous game, the Arteta's first game with Arsenal. So, Well, I, I actually wrote about Everton against Arsenal, and that might have been the, the worst game I wrote about all season long, maybe since we're doing this website. That was awful. Yes, that was the game in which everyone was making jokes that Arteta and Ancelotti were on were, were on the stands, just like yeah. what what do I, what did we get ourselves into? Yes, but then you watch that game against Bournemouth, and even though they, they drew that game and the expected goals were not exactly in their favor, I, I do think they, they could take a lot of positives from that. I'm not sure how you view that. There are, uh, both in that game and here, there are a lot of good things in Arsenal, especially in their build-up structure. And today, we also got the added uh, compactness in their defensive shape, which was very neat. Yeah, so let, 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 let's go into how, how they played. So, um, if we look at Chelsea, uh, they have been sticking to a three-man uh, defense, or be it five-man, how you look at it, for the past few weeks. And Lampard kept that in shape here, which was kind of surprising to me, because they didn't play very well in the midweek against uh, Southampton, but he, he decided to go with it in the first half um, against Arsenal's 4-2-3-1. And what we immediately could see was, like you said, uh, the build-up structure. Maybe you can expand a little bit on that. Yes, yeah, so I think the most important characteristic of uh, Arsenal's build-up structure in particular was the fact that it, it became this sort of 4-2-4 where especially you had... Um, Lacazette and Ozil as kind of the playmakers, the guys who receive the progressive passes and then try to lay it off to the, towards the side to the wingers or the fullbacks. And then you, they try to create these triangles where they could progress up the pitch very quickly. And Arsenal got really good at finding Ozil and Lacazette, uh, partly because they, they have some pretty neat uh, people on the ball. Torreira had a, very, had a pretty good game on the ball. David Luiz, as usual, is, pretty, is probably the most consistent part of David Luiz's game, mm -hmm. what he does on the ball. And then you had the fact that Chelsea, especially during those first 30 minutes, was a bit of a mess in their yes, pressing. Like, we watched that game live. I have rewatched it now again. Um, I'm, I'm still a bit confused what, what Lampard was trying to achieve there, because they were basically pressing with only three players, with the striker, Abraham, and the two offensive midfielders in behind. And yeah, it's very uncommon nowadays that you, if you play with five defenders, that you don't use your wingbacks for, for pressing. So that way you said Torreira and he had a good game. But I, I had the feeling that Chelsea also let them 
uh, let them have that easy buildup. Uh, I'm not sure how how you view that, but yes. I, and the interesting thing is that the interesting thing is that I was listening to Lampard's post match interview, and he actually mentioned like Arsenal turned our back three into a back five. So it almost sounded like it was not intentional, uh, that very passive behavior from the wingbacks. But that's, that's pretty much what happened. You would expect that the wingbacks would have gone up to press Arsenal's fullbacks. Yes. Uh, and, and that like, didn't happen. And Arsenal had a lot of freedom to build up because of that. Yeah, but just in the very few cases that had happened, immediately the ball was laid afterwards, after the defense. And they 1v1 between uh, Reese Nelson and Chelsea's left centre-back would ensue. So maybe... That got them a little bit passive, that they were afraid for the space in behind, maybe. Yes, and that's probably what Lampard meant when, when, when he says that Arsenal turn our back three into a back five. Uh, the, the thing is that in that structure, def, there was, it wasn't just the wingbacks. There was also like this big gap between Chelsea's forwards and the midfield line, where it's really like Kovacic and, and Kante can not even press because they are the ones to have to, who have to hold that mid, midfield line. There's no one behind their back, covering their back. So they knew that if they go up to press, then they, they're going to leave like a giant space behind yeah. them. So that way, Torreira was freed up all the time because, um, like I said earlier, they were only pressing with three players. Um, Kovacic and Kante know they can't step in because the space in the middle will become too big. And that way, Arsenal basically ran the game for the first half hour, we can say. Yes, and probably the one thing I still don't like about Arsenal in possession is that I always feel that once the ball gets to like Ocelin, like I said, all the forwards kicking to fifth gear and everyone rushes forward. And you don't wait for the entire team to move as a unit. So what happens there? Uh, Arsenal ends up attacking with only two, three players against the whole Chelsea defense. They're outnumbered and... And at that point, they can't even count. They can't counter press either when they lose the ball. So it feels like Arsenal's possession game. They have the talent to make good passing combinations, but it still feels a bit too rushed. Yes, and we're talking very positive about their build-up, which was okay and good, but they didn't really create a lot of chances, right, from open play. Like the goal is a set piece. Um, one of their, they scored the opening goal after 13, 14 minutes, I believe. Uh, that was a set piece. Mm-hmm. Um, one of their biggest chances after that was once again from a failed Chelsea press because Willian didn't know, do I press the centre-back, do I press the full-back? That was that chance that Lacazette didn't shoot, which was like one of their best attacks, do you remember? Yes. And and besides that, Arsenal didn't really create a boatload of chances. So I, like, yes. they were and the better boils down. To me, it boils down to the fact that they were not attacking with enough people. And in, in general, like, we're going to come to this problem often. Arsenal's issue with keeping the ball for longer has to do with the kinds of midfielders uh, they have, like, in their double pivot. Like, they don't really have that midfield director in the deeper areas of the pitch right now, especially with Ceballos injured mm-hmm. and Chaka not available. And what do you miss with Torreira and, and Guendouzi? What, what qualities do they miss to perform in that role? Well, with Torreira is that he's always been a more conservative passer. With Guendouzi, it's just that as talented as he is, he's just all over the place. Yeah, his positioning is a bit off sometimes, right? He thinks, oh, I should be here, then I should be here, maybe I should go there, you know? I question his decision-making all the time. He, he's still this like, really young player who feels the need to be everywhere all the time. And, and it really affects 
every part of his game, both the defending and the attacking. So we have this half hour in which Arsenal are the better team without creating too many chances, but okay, they score, they are in the front. And then I must say a big compliment to Lampard because how many times don't we watch matches wherein a game plan is just totally not working and the manager does not adjust? And here at least Lampard had the, well, maybe the tactical insight, but also the humility to say, okay, this is not working at all. We're not getting a foot in the door. I'm going to change it, right? That's, that's a positive for me at least. Yes, to me that that was bold and decisive. Like it's not because we've it's exactly what you mentioned. Like we've seen many times where managers stick with the failed game plan throughout the entire first half or even more. Like this one came at the 30th minute and it was and it was really the right choice. Can you explain to me but also maybe to the listeners but how, like what did he change and how did it affect the match and and why why did it change the match so much as it did? So the most important thing here is that uh uh, Jorginho came in for Emerson and the entire team switched from the 3-4-3 they were essentially playing with to a 4-3-3. They changed to a back four. So I think the most important thing here is more than the back four is that Chelsea now actually had a midfield three. Mm-hmm. Uh, now they could act, now they didn't, they were outnumbered almost in the in the center areas by Arsenal at the beginning of the game. Like they never had enough people in midfield to play out of, to play out of the back. Now with three midfielders, what happens, Jorginho, for example, starts moving closer to the center backs, forming almost a back three. Um, and, the, and then he starts making it easier to combine, for example, with Kovacic and get him into the game. So it was the, it was the best, having Jorginho there was the best way to get both Kante and Kovacic into the game. Although I have to say I'm kind of disappointed with Kante's game on the ball. The other important thing that I can think of is that Arsenal still try to move the ball quickly from side to side once they, once they had switched over to this 4-3-3. But Arsenal were pretty compact in their 4-4-2. That was pretty good defending. You mean when they were defending? Yeah, it's like very simple, basic. You know, the wingers go into the midfield line, Ozil pushes up and you get a 4-4-2 and it was hard for Chelsea to get through. Yes. So one of the things I like the most is that uh, Chelsea likes to disorder opponents by making like the long diagonal passes from either Kovacic or Jorginho. Mm -hmm. And what you had is the Arsenal fullback moved uh, to the wing to cover that, that ball that was going to the other side. And because a gap open in the Arsenal defense, usually the winger, this happened many times with Aubameyang, he moved back to cover the gap that was left by the fullback. It's like those are small defensive details that don't always, are not always taken care of. So it was a compact defense and it was a comp, and, but it was also a defense where everyone was covering each other's backs. That's important. There's one thing I didn't hear you uh, say about, which is that immediately after the change, Chelsea's possession numbers just rose uh, because in the first half hour, Arsenal had 57, 58% possession. And immediately from the moment Jorginho was uh, introduced, it went up. The last 15 minutes of the first half, they had 66% possession. So that just goes to show you also not, not only because Jorginho is, of course, very hard to get off the ball and will immediately get your possession numbers up. But also Arsenal maybe in the mentality thought, okay, we're going to sit a little bit deeper now. Yes. And that was, I kind of understand why that happens uh, as in 
Arsenal were pro- Arsenal were partly pushed back. They were probably a bit afraid of opening up too much space because, frankly, the kind of game Chelsea wants is is an opponent that's opened up. That's where they thrive. They don't want to ha- what they don't want to deal with is opening a set def- a, a compact set defense like the one Arsenal was doing. So it did, Arsenal's passiveness. Uh, at least to me, did make tactical sense, even though it did make it harder for them to counterattack. Yes, and we'll, we'll get back on that last point you made, but it also made the match, for me at least, uh, a bit less interesting because it's just uh, one team has the ball and the other one sits in the low block and the medium block, and it's not that interesting anymore, for me at least. Yes, because it's less of a come and go. At that point, it's less of a come and go. But it's just one of those things in which I think it was convenient for Arsenal to slow down the game a bit too. Like if they turned it into a come and go affair, uh, that's usually where Chelsea does well. And that's kind of what happened at the end. where Arsenal. That's what happened kind of at the end of the game. We're going to get there. Like where mm-hmm. Arsenal tried to be more aggressive and then Chelsea killed them on the counter. Yeah, well, well, just well, just let's uh, transition to the second half, um, wherein yeah, we don't really see a different game from a tactical point of view, from my opinion at least. Uh, from that, Arsenal's perspective, uh, no, particularly. We'll like, talk about later. I, I agree with you. We'll, we'll talk about Chelsea later, but Arsenal, for me, in that entire second half, they just couldn't get out. They played in that uh, structure. And they could not get out of their own half. And as a result, we saw the entire second half, Aubameyang play as a second left-back. Uh, Reese Nelson play almost the entire second half as a second right-back. And every time they tried to get out, they couldn't reach Lacazette. Uh, there was little hold-up play. Midfield runs weren't made effectively. So I thought, yeah, it's always a decision to retreat in a deep block. But this is also the risk you get then, that you couldn't get out. And it's not like Chelsea is like a counter-pressing machine. But in this case, Arsenal just couldn't leave their own half for the life of them. Yes, and I think there are two factors there. One mm-hmm. factor is that, especially after the 60th minute of so, you could see that both Lacazette and Osil ran out of gas. Like they were struggling more to win duels against... Chelsea midfielders and defenders, they couldn't hold up the ball. It was more difficult for Arsenal then to initiate counterattacks through them. And the other thing is what I had mentioned before, the lack of a midfield director of, or a guy like Chaka or Ceballos that could keep the ball for longer periods of time. Because at least in those situations, say you're in a deep block, you recover the ball, and these kinds of midfielders allow you to keep the ball for longer and breathe a bit. Mm-hmm. But shouldn't... Ozil be a player who can, you know, do that if he drops a bit deeper? Maybe. Although, again, to me, he's more of a number 10 in how he understands the game, too. Like, Ozil mm-hmm. usually wants to go forward more than just keep the ball. Right. But I also mean in those transition moments, like in those small offensive transitions. Yes, he he's usually been that. And I think he's gotten, he's become more of a controller as he got older. Mm-hmm. But again, it, it it doesn't help that he seems to have run out of fuel after the 60th minute or so, which is why I understand the change uh, yeah. for Willock around the 76th minute. The only problem is that it was still very much one of those like uh, man for man in the same position substitution. Mm-hmm. So you don't. So Arteta didn't really change anything on the tactical level, and at that point, I think Arsenal needed something else, like either. Uh, I think uh, 
our writer Peter was mentioning was talking about like a change in the possession structure, for example, could have been useful uh, yeah. to see if Arsenal could keep the ball for longer like so, that. Mm -hmm. So we have a website <laughs> and uh, Peter is going to write about this game. That report will be uh, online tomorrow morning. Yes. And indeed, I also read what, what he said. But uh, should we go into Chelsea a little bit? Because you said they changed some subtle things. Can you elaborate a bit on that? Yes, and I kind of really like that because not only did Lampard do like the big tactical change at the 30th minute, he still did a lot of game management and a lot earlier than Arsenal, for example. And Even a lot more than Arsenal. Yes, more than Arsenal, even though his side was already dominating. So one of the things that happened is that, well, in the switch to a back four, uh, Fikayo Tomori turned into a makeshift right back. But it's not really his position. So he wasn't as incisive as one would expect a, a right back to be. So at that point, so by the 59th minute, then we got the substitution of Tomori for the younger Lamptey, who, again, gave the right wing a bit more punch. The other interesting thing um, was that Lampard also noticed the behavior of his central midfielders in that Kante was being very active in the right wing, trying to create combinations with the winger and the fullback. Kovacic was not as active in that. So he actually switched Kovacic for Callum Hudson-Odoi, mm -hmm. and that really activated all of Chelsea's left side because you started seeing a lot of passing combinations uh, between uh, Hudson Odoi and Mount and Tammy Abram, who like Tammy Abram is just an amazing striker. Like I love seeing this guy play. Yes, I think it's really cool that Lampard, you know, he recognizes okay, tomorrow at right back, maybe it's not working. What do I have on the bench? Okay, it's a young guy, it's its league debut, but okay, I'm going to throw it on because we need that profile now at the right back. And once again, I don't think a lot of managers would just do that. They would stick to the a little bit more senior player in Tomori, who's had like half a season beside his name. Yes, and that's one of the things that, uh, independently of how this Lampard project goes, uh, Chelsea fans will appreciate. At least he's gotten to introduce a lot of young players into the first team. Mm -hmm. So, if I hear you, you thought Hudson Odoi made a big impact up in his 20 minutes or so, like he activated yes. his side. Mm -hmm. I do think that was Chelsea's most dominant phase of the game because that's when they that's when they really started putting most of the pressure because now you had like a very well defined passing combinations between two players who under two three players that understand each other well because you could see the chemistry like among like Mount uh, Hudson Odoi and Tammy. I thought Mount had a very anonymous game really. Uh... Until that moment, I think he did. Yeah. But um, if we're being honest, like Chelsea score an equalizer in the 83rd minute. Um, if we're being honest, like it's not like they had boatloads of chances, right? It's not like they had a lot of activities in the six in the in the 18 yard blocks, right? And that draw came through a set piece. Yes, but once again, this was a set piece that came from one of those situations I just described. So Arsenal were defending in their own box. They recover possession. They look for Lacazette. Lacazette can't hold it up against uh, Jorginho. Jorginho gets fouled at the sideline, and that's the set piece. So we are, all, we are always easy to say, ah, it came from a set piece. It didn't come from open play. But it's, it's, it's important to remember that those set pieces also come forward from tactical match situations. And in this case, mm -hmm. the set piece comes forward from Arsenal not being able to counterattack uh, effectively. I think Lacazette yes. fouled uh, Jorginho. But do you agree with me that that... Sure, Chelsea were better and they pinned Arsenal back on their own half, but 
in terms of cool mouth action, I didn't think they 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 deserved an equalizer at that point of the game. I oh I I do think Chelsea had deserved an equalizer by then. Maybe they hadn't uh, generated really really good chances, but they had put on pressure for a good for a good while. At that point, the goal the goal started see, see, seeming more and more inevitable. Especially with Arsenal not being able. Okay, fair enough. We can also disagree on some things. Eh? That's not, uh, that's not <laughs> bad. <laughs> so then we have an equalizer. And then basically for the first time in the entire second half, Arsenal attack like wild. Um, if you look at the winning goal Chelsea scored, I mean, come on. Where's the defensive cover? That one was uh, like the worst part in that entire play is just the behavior of the center backs. None, both of them stay back and nobody tries to push up, like to just reduce the amount of time and space that Abraham has to do mm -hmm. things. That's the, that's, big, that's the biggest issue. As a center back, you think, okay, I'm a hold my position, I'm secure, but actually you make it a lot worse then. Yes, because they basically gave Abraham a lot of time and space to run at them. Which is the word? Which is what you don't want to let him do? No, but in the end, they scored two-one. Three minutes to go. Crazy game, if you think about it. Like what we just said. What I, what I, uh, how I began the podcast. Like from a tactical point of view, it was very interesting this game. But also, if you think how how quick those goals of Chelsea came in succession, that's crazy. Well, and it also kind of reminds us that Arsenal's game plan cannot be defending in their own half for 45 minutes. They don't have uh, the, pers the personnel, the tactical mechanisms, the focus to do that. They're, they're not a team that's built to do that. So their plan has to be more organized on pressing on what they do on possession, what they do with the ball. Yeah, and it also reminds us that football is just really random. Just a really random game. So one goal can change everything. And this was a Great example of that. Yes. Uh, so we get like seven, eight minutes extra time. Yeah, the usual stuff happens. You know, people get sent forward. And I didn't really see anything special in that extra time, to be honest. Like, I would have think, uh, I thought it would, would have been cool if Arsenal would have scored an equalizer. I think they overall deserved that. I don't think Chelsea deserved all three points here, to be honest. I think a draw would have been overall more deserved for both sides. I'm more on Chelsea's side here. I really like their reaction, their tactical reaction, their early tactical reaction to mm -hmm. what Arsenal was doing. With Arsenal, I just wish, like, if they didn't have a, a way to improve their possession, I just wish that, for example, Pepe had been brought in earlier. Because, mm -hmm. like, bringing in Pepe at, at the 85th minute, that, that's already... I don't get why he gets yeah. so little minutes. Like, Nelson is getting a lot of minutes now. Like, why? I uh, like Nel I like Nelson and I can see how he's a smart player, but it's not the same kind of like one versus one threat that Pepe can provide. No, but Nelson had like a couple of one v one opportunities and I just can't remember him putting in one good opportunity into the box, like for real. And mm -hmm. you have a player which we saw destroy entire League One defenses in uh, in France last season. So yeah, so it seems large, especially like during the second half where Arsenal urgently needed somewhat like that counter-attacking threat. It's it's weird that the substitution didn't came in so late. So overall, what would you what would you say? What do you would you want Arsenal to improve in future games? Well, 
I was just going to pick up on that because basically Arteta now has had two matches as coach, uh, one point. But overall, if we don't look at the results only, but at the process, you're seeing some good stuff. Like you said, the build-up is a lot cleaner now. I think Ozil, I wouldn't say he's rejuvenated or something, but he's showing some 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 signs of the old Ozil again. Um, what I do think from a team tactical level, as you pointed out, like this is not a team that should wait on uh, on the edge of their box and try to win games that way. I hope Arteta can uh, put in an effective counter press. And if that happens, I think this is a wonderful squad because if you look at their attack, I, this might be a bit of a controversial opinion, but I think their attack is up there with the best uh, of the Premier League. Yes, and I and as I said, in my case, I do look forward to seeing how this side can operate like with a proper uh, deep playmaker. Uh, again, I don't. We don't know what's gonna happen to Chaka over the transfer window, uh, but at the very least, Ceballos should be there. And to me, he's the, I like. I would be excited to think like what what would happen if we had any of these two in the role that Guendouzi was playing today, for example, because it would be mm-hmm. sort of a more stable team on on the ball. Which is not to say that Guendouzi's bad. It's just I he's more raw. So I would he's still valuable, but in different contexts. Let's put it that way. So you you would play midfield two with Torreira and uh, Ceballos. That would be interesting. Chaka or Ceballos there? Yes. Cool. And what about Chelsea? I mean, silently, silently, they're fourth now in the league at the exact halfway point. A lot of young players. I think Lampert is doing an excellent job, basically. I really like what they're doing. I understand the shift to a back three probably came in from the fact that Chelsea's defense has been shake, pretty shaky. So mm-hmm. Lampert probably wanted to reinforce his defense of the box a bit. Uh, but that does come at the ex- that can often come at the expense of midfield play. And this is very clearly what happened today. Like they just didn't have enough people in midfield to properly build up from the back and things improved a lot once they changed to a 4-3-3, which doesn't mean that we should, that he should shelf the back three entirely. It's mm-hmm. just, it will depend highly on who the opponent is. I think their best formation is definitely the 4-2-3-1 with also the Kante uh, Kovacic double pivot. I think that's brilliant. That would be interesting to see. No, they did that a couple of times. Worked fantastically. Only, yeah, you have to leave out Jorginho then, but okay. I all overall, like I like Chelsea squad. Like I think they have a lot of options. Like they have a lot of options in the squad. And frankly, Lampard has a lot of tactical. Like he has a lot of shapes that he can try depending on the opponent. I feel like this is a squad that has a lot of flexibility, and that's great. I don't know. This was this was a, this was a very fun game to review. Just a lot of things happened. I hope all post-match analysis podcasts we do will be a bit like this game, you know, with a lot of tactics going on and action and fun. We have to choose wisely. We have to yeah. choose games wisely. No Mourinho teams. Oh God, don't be cruel. <laughs> no joke. Hey, thanks for the first time. Um, I should finish this podcast off by saying that we will have a written article on this match tomorrow morning on the website. Uh, my time zone morning, not for you, Jose. Um, and, and please, and Peter's very good. Peter's great, so he's going to do a great job breaking down this even further than we did. Yes, and Peter is an Arsenal fan, and he said 
this is the first time I care again in the, this season because he was switched off a little bit by uh, Unai Emery and his management, and now he's back again. So that's nice. Yeah, and he's not the only Arsenal fan who who think that. I can imagine. No, but <laughs> they, they had a tough decade, man. The Arsenal fans. <laughs> yes. Cool. Uh, let us know what you think because it's the first time we can approve a lot, probably. So let us know what you think. Uh, just hit us up. We have a mail address. Hit us up on Twitter, Facebook, wherever you will, you find us. And I should finish it up by saying that we can't promise to do it weekly, but we'll try to go uh, for as much podcast as we can. Right? Absolutely. So let's hope next week uh, there will be another match uh, we can analyze and we can do another post-game podcast. For now, I just want to say thanks. Go to the website, betweenthepost.net, uh, if you like football tactics and stats. And I'll see you next time, Jose. Thanks. All right. Thanks for having me, Eric. And I'll see everyone around. 